Our guest today is Christina Bascom, a pharmacist who found her passion for travel medicine and decided to take a leap of faith and start her own business. She's an innovative, strong entrepreneur who co-founded the Travel Health Network Clinic with a vision of providing comprehensive travel advice for everyone. She tells us about how she risked it all to follow her dream. Lawrence, are you good? Uh, one, two, three, 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 two, one. Okay, you guys can start talking. Welcome to another episode of the Inside Look. Today, Sandy and I have a chance to, to interview a pharmacist that has turned her passion into reality, Christina Bascom. Christina has found herself drawn to the specialized area of travel medicine, and she has opened a successful travel health clinic to uh, pursue her passion. Thanks for joining us today, Christina. Thanks for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what would you like to know? I'm a pharmacist, obviously. I've been a pharmacist uh, since 1999, where I graduated from the University of Alberta. Um, I'm a mom. I have three kids. I also have three dogs. Oh. Um, and as you as you mentioned, I am uh, part owner of a uh, specialized travel clinic. That's all we do is travel medicine. And uh, I love to dive and climb climb mountains, and bodybuild. Excellent. So kind of starting from the beginning then, um, when you were a student, what were your goals when you were, when you were, what were you expecting? Like when I first started university? Uh, maybe when you started pharmacy school. Or okay, university pharmacy, pharmacy well, yeah. school. Okay. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations as far as pharmacy went. I had a really good friend who had graduated pharmacy when I was graduating high school. And he kind of got me onto it because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Dentistry didn't really appeal to me. Um, that was one of the options. But uh, when I was in pharmacy, I just felt that it was a really wonderful career, especially for women, I felt, because there was so much that you could do, um, as well as, you know, still have a family. And, and it was a little bit more versatile. Good work like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I felt uh, when, I was, when I was in it. And as I progressed through through the faculty. Um, I just really was impassioned because it was kind of like the beginning of the movement of pharmaceutical care and um, the more clinical aspects of pharmacy and, and that kind of got me really excited with all of the things that I could do with my degree in the future. Fantastic. Yeah. So were you any, uh, did you have any particular memories when you were going to school here? As a, I uh, know that you graduated in 1999, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the pharmacy school has transformed quite a bit in the last decade. Yeah, it's totally yeah. not even the same building. Some of my best memories were uh, things like the compounding competitions that we would have. I really loved compounding, which I, I, I really enjoyed when, uh, when I was in the faculty. Um, I just really love the camaraderie. I actually really miss being in school just because of all the people that I met in pharmacy. Um, the friends that I made and I still have to this day um, are some of the closest relationships I've ever had. Um, uh, some of the fun things that we did, like uh, PDW uh, weeks and, and having fun with that and, you know, the weekly karaoke like some of the social parts i really love the social parts when i was able to do it um 
but also the support that we had like when we were studying we always had great studying groups and, and everybody was out to help each other and while we were all very competitive with each other we were all very supportive of each other and i really loved that and that's carried forth for the most part in my career as well the supportive environment of pharmacists yeah. That's very important. I, I found personally, I've actually built up a lot of really good relationships with pharmacy school as well. Actually, right now, I have the chance to uh, work with one of my classmates. So we work side by side each and every day, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And it just has built up that connection as well as a lot of other connections, get, even as we spread out throughout the province. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely kind of builds up that camaraderie for sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of coming back a little more in terms of your goals, did you ever see yourself running a clinic when you were graduating? Absolutely not. Um, I never once had a desire to own my own pharmacy or manage my own pharmacy, which is, um, I was never really a business person. I didn't really like to do the business side of anything. So my goal was to be a great pharmacist and be proficient at what I did um, as much as I possibly could and to learn from, from all the experiences that I had. Um, and then eventually those goals changed as I progressed in, in my career like I really wanted to be a great uh, pharmacist but I developed a really large passion for compounding so you know took that up and when I do things I don't really do things halfway mm -hmm. so I went to um, Houston and took the compounding course down there um, I started doing some compounding with my sister-in-law for a little while and then when I moved over to Ceylon Foods um, started up some compounding with them as well and I really love that that was probably my biggest goal, was to become this amazing compounder. <laughs> I just remember winning the compounding competition in pharmacy, and, and that was, like, very inspiring for me. So that kind of like directed that goal. Yeah, the motivation. Yeah, to yeah. Go down that path. Exactly. Yeah, excellent. So when you uh, just graduated, you know, um, you're kind of thrown into the workforce, and a lot for a lot of students, actually, um, you know, it might look a little intimidating almost, right, um, mm -hmm. trying to... Uh, navigate into the world of pharmacy. Uh, what was that journey like for you? It was a very different experience, I think, from what pharm pharmacy students are going to have now. Um, when I graduated, we were all very much guaranteed jobs mm -hmm. uh, wherever you wanted, and you could pick your wage, um, or so it seemed, right? Um, it, it was also the time, too, where you're thrown into the workforce. I was actually at the time a single mom. Um, so I did have a, my daughter two years before I finished pharmacy school. So my, my desires were to, you know, to provide for her. So when you're a new pharmacist, the money is amazing, right? Like when you're finally not living in debt as a student forever, that was the best part. But you also have to work really hard. Um, I worked really long days and I'd work 15, uh, 14, 15 to 14 days um, in a row. Wow. I'd take a day off and then I'd start it again wow. um, because, you know, the harder you worked, mm -hmm. you know, the more shifts you were guaranteed and if you always proved that you were ready to do that, you'd, you'd get those shifts. But um, I just really feel that the environment's changed a lot for pharmacy students this year, or, or nowadays anyways. Um, I, I see a lot of pharmacy students that are applying for jobs and, and aren't getting them so different environment but um, you know if you're if you're willing to work hard I think you'll get what you want right yeah. and that's true for anything yeah great profession yeah definitely um, you mentioned that you used to work really long shifts 14 15 hour days 
and you had a child at that time. How did you balance all that? I can imagine it was a little bit of uh, when you're at work and you're there till late hours, yeah. there's a little bit of yearning to kind of go back home and see your child. Well, honestly, I don't remember my daughter's <laughs> first few years of life. I mean, I was in university plus working mm -hmm. as well. Um, thankfully, I had a very supportive sister who came and moved in with me, mm -hmm. and she helped out a lot. Mm -hmm. um, there was no balance back then, though. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like, for the first, I would say, three or four years after pharmacy school, I didn't have a whole lot of balance. You know, being a single mom and putting myself through university, you're working really hard to, yeah. to make ends meet and to kind of come out on top. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you do and, and you can kind of relax a little bit and ease off. And the whole prospect of working 14 days in a row is not important <laughs> to me anymore. And I, I, yeah. I wouldn't have to and I, I wouldn't want to anymore. It really decreases your quality of life. Yeah. Bit, so. so is that something that you would advise? If you could go back, would you redo it the same way, would you say? I don't know. I mean, the circumstances, if they were exactly the same, I would do the exact same yeah. because you have to do what you have to do. It made sense at the time. It did. Yeah. And I mean, it to this day, I mean, if I was thrown into that exact same situation again, I would absolutely be doing that. So for a while, you were working within the community, you were know, mm -hmm. getting a really good, great experience with 14-hour shifts. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> meeting a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so what made you kind of decide to, uh, you know, after that period, to kind of jump back into school and, and to get, uh, if, if I recall, uh, I, I remember that you actually uh, received another um, travel health certification yes. from um, Glasgow in England. Uh, yeah. I was working at Salem Foods uh, in a you know large chain pharmacy uh, for quite a long time. So from about 2003 um, until 2012, I worked with them. Around 2009, 2010, you know, you're looking for a specialty. Um, we just you know been given as pharmacist um, authorization to administer drugs by injection. We had the opportunity to also um, have additional prescribing authority around that time as well but I wanted to find something that I was passionate about as opposed to just something right so a lot of people were doing asthma education diabetes education um, that's well and good but I wanted something exciting and different and travel really appealed to me so I had a, a, quite a few friends who had you know pursued travel medicine and so out of curiosity, I just started to see quite, or go to a, quite a few conferences um, in Seattle and, you know, Boston and that sort of thing. And, and eventually I decided that this is quite interesting and I really enjoy it. So I enrolled in the foundation program at the uh, Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow. So they have a foundation in travel medicine, which is about a six month program. Um, very, very limited. It's only about four subjects, and it's kind of a teaser of their diploma program. And I quite enjoyed it. So after I took that course, I challenged the Certificate of Travel Health at the International Society of Travel Medicine Conference, and that was in Boston in 2011. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, I passed. It's a very hard mm -hmm. exam. It's about, I think, about six hours long, oh, and there's like 400 people, <laughs> very few people passed. Um, and I happened to write that exam with a bunch of friends, so it was a great experience too for us, um, and we all passed. So that was awesome. And after I wrote that exam, I was really driven. I really wanted to pursue travel medicine. The problem was that I felt the exam was a great way to 
indicate that you could write an exam. Mm -hmm. It was really not a way to give an adequate risk assessment. And again, I don't do anything halfway. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And I thought that if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure I have better training. So I did a little bit of travel, travel medicine on my own, but just felt that I needed more from them. So that's when I enrolled at the uh, Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons again for their full diploma course, which is a full year program. You know, instead of four modules, yeah. it's like 23 modules or I can't remember, it was quite a few. Um, you have to do an original piece of research. There's OSCE exams. There's written exams. Um, very comprehensive and very, very hard, mm -hmm. but so rewarding. And it really helped me to uh, really firm up my knowledge of travel medicine, do an adequate risk assessment, really focus on evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. And that really gave me the foundation to, to feel that I was confident enough to do travel medicine mm -hmm. and really wanted to pursue that. So then I left my job at Ceylon and um, with the help of a colleague and, and a physician, uh, opened up, started the planning of opening up this clinic. And it's just kind of the rest of his history, I guess. Yeah, so. It sounds like a lot of extra training that you put in. You, oh, really, you really did not go into anything halfway by the side of it. So are you a traveler yourself? Was that I do fun? like to travel, yes. Yeah, so um, what I mean, I don't get to travel during the high season, yeah. which is right now for us. Uh, it's really busy at this time of year, but um, we've taken our kids to Thailand, to Indonesia. Um, my husband and I go away every year to the British Virgin Islands, and we rent a sailboat with our friends and just find different dive sites and dive on our own. Yeah. Um, I go mountain climbing with friends um, pretty much every summer. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to Know, do the high altitude trekking, mm. long treks, and um, I just love traveling. Yeah. Lots of different places. I mean, honestly, if I could go everywhere I wanted to go, I'd not be working. But maybe <laughs> still, one day. Still <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you have achieved a pretty good work-life balance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Too. And working in travel medicine, you can because you do live vicariously through a lot of your clients because. You know they're so happy to come to you and they they're talking about their trip and where they want to go and so you just kind of like get immersed yeah. in it and they send you pictures and they send you emails and, and tell you all about it mm -hmm. um probably get really great tips and advice absolutely from them absolutely and then you can share your tips and, and advice for from where you've been mm -hmm. as well so i think that's really great but the nice thing about travel medicine is that it's got a really high peak time mm -hmm. where you're very very busy and you're very much dedicated to just working so basically from about October to March, you're very immersed in it. But then for the summer, it's slower. So you have more opportunity to be able to go and, and adventure on your own. Yeah. It's so, like a really great to yeah. balance between. It is. And it's actually been great for my family as well. Yeah. Because we have, I have way more time with my kids. Um, I see them a lot more. Whereas when I was working full time as a pharmacist in a community pharmacy, I wasn't home a lot because you're doing a lot of shift work and you're working late and you know they're at school and then you go to work and you know until they're in bed. <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, before you had jumped into your current role or uh, starting up with uh, the new travel clinic, mm -hmm. um, you were working at uh, Save On Foods. Mm -hmm. So what was that? Uh, how how did you make that jump? You know, from from working as a full time pharmacist and you know um, having to start up your own practice and that, that, that was a leap of faith, um, really. Um, 
I was at a kind of a crossroads with what I wanted to do. Um, and eventually, like you do get a little bit jaded when you're working for a big corporation. And I will admit that I was definitely jaded. Um, and December of 2012, my husband and I had a chat and, and I wasn't happy where I was. And I wanted to do this travel medicine thing. And I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it with the right support in a corporation. And so we sat down and we chatted and he's like, if you're not happy, then leave and we'll be okay. And you take the time that you need to do that. So I wasn't, I didn't work for almost an entire year. So um, it took about, I would say about 10 months to kind of get that idea off the ground. And starting in January of 2013, I started that in motion. Um, by March, um, we had a plan. By July, we were building. And by October, uh, October 15th, 2013, we opened. And it was, like I said, a leap of faith. Like you take a lot of risks and you have to make a lot of sacrifices. I sacrificed my income for almost a year and um, and then obviously longer than that, when you're making, when you're building a business, you're not making a lot of money at the beginning. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to really, um, let go mm -hmm. and you have to have the support of your family because it's going to affect them as well. Um, so it was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, it was a very scary time for me. Yeah. I lost a lot of sleep. <laughs> I still yeah. sometimes lose a lot of sleep. So during that time, did you ever think to yourself, you know, maybe this is, you know, I'm doing something wrong I, here, you know? Still to this day think, I have made a horrible mistake. <laughs> what am I doing? It's much better now. Like, we're busier. We have a better, like, a built-up reputation and stuff. But at the beginning, I, I panicked a lot. Like, I've never done this. I've never taken this risk. I've never taken these chances before. Like, what have I done? A lot. I, I said that a lot. <laughs> and my husband's like, it's okay. It'll be okay. And you were by yourself as well, right? Without a, a partner or someone to... I have a business help. partner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, silent partner. And then I have a physician who's a medical director. Um, so, but yeah, for the most part, it was a lot of my own. But I did have a partner who, you know, she's amazing, very supportive. Um, helps me, you know, with ideas and, and support in that way. It, the unfortunate thing is that she doesn't live here. So she's, oh. she lives... Um, in a different city so um, in that respect it, it it's a challenge um, especially for her I think she feels the challenge um, I wish she could live here it would be great because we're an amazing team and she's a wonderful person um, but at the building stage she was up here she was helping us uh, get things all started and so, so that building stage, then, what were some of the challenges that you that you faced as a per person that's new to business? So the, some of the biggest challenges, I mean, obviously getting a business loan, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Like, how much money do we need to have to make this work, right? Um, building permits. So you need a permit to build up a space and also finding a space. Um, that was a big struggle, trying to find a spot that was going to be um, effective for us and also affordable. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a few options that we were looking into, but I'm glad we didn't have those come through because they wouldn't have been great. Mm -hmm. We're so lucky we have great visibility and we're right on the road where people can see us. A lot of our businesses walk in, but some of the other options that we would have had, 
there was going to be no way that they would have known that we were there. Like we were hidden in a medical office building. Mm -hmm. That's not very ideal. So yeah. I guess it would, would have been easier to kind of look back and, and know. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Location. yeah. And I mean, we got really lucky with our location. And the, the greatest thing about where we are is that the, the landlord who owns property is a retired pharmacist oh excellent. So, who actually yeah. knew my father-in-law so it actually worked out really well yeah, so he was very world. supportive of, yeah. of a pharmacist venture on mm -hmm. uh in one of his spaces so he was he was great with that so we were lucky in that too mm -hmm. we understand the struggles a lot absolutely better. absolutely yeah. and very supportive with a lot of uh the challenges that we faced and, and helped us out a lot so Perfect. yeah sometimes things just happen for a reason and it worked out and then outside I think a lot of people always like to know, um, kind of switching slightly gears here, but um, a lot of people like to know what's behind a healthcare professional like to see. So outside of your you building up your business and outside of you working towards your passion of, of child medicine, what, what are you passionate about? What else is there that drives you? Um, well, I really love bodybuilding. Body I used to be a big runner. Okay. Um, I used to train for marathons and whatnot, and then I injured myself um, in 2012, actually. Oh. Um, needing knee surgery while you were while I was still in same one yeah oh, okay. yeah and so I've kind of redirected that uh, obsession I guess because it, I mean it is basically an obsession into bodybuilding so um, I love the gym and I love training and working out so mm -hmm. I do that a lot yeah. and being a big role model for your yeah yeah clients up yeah you. and I mean yeah. it's great too because you can get clients that come in and you can tell they bodybuild so you mm -hmm. kind of have that conversation <laughs> yeah. too um, so that is a big passion for me and uh, diving has become something that's really mm -hmm. exciting for me too. I never thought I would be a great diver, but we have friends that really kind of pushed us into it, my husband and I, and, and now it's something that, that's what we travel for is to go diving in different places in the world. And Which places uh, have you? Um, we've been to Thailand to dive, um, Mexico, um, Indonesia, which is the best diving ever, just mm -hmm. to let you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then uh, going to Tahiti, I'm going to Tahiti pretty soon here to go dive oh, there. Yeah, and then um, British Virgin Islands, we go every year. Mm. Um, and sailing too, we do sailing and stuff like that. So just, I like to be active. Mm. My biggest thing is um, when I'm not at work, I want to be doing something mm. physical. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, lifting weights or diving or climbing mountain. That sounds like it's a little bit of a release as well. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like your therapy. Yeah. Um, kind of, you, it's a great way to kind of sort out your thoughts and, mm -hmm. and or else not think. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so when you just started your first, uh, you know, travel health uh, clinic, did you know right away that it was going to be, you know, in Edmonton or what, which location it would have been in, in Alberta? Well. I live in St. Albert, so I wanted it in St. Albert, but we did look in Edmonton, um, but we just were fortunate enough to have it in St. Albert. It's nice to be able to work close to home. Um, the biggest problem that we had, too, is we wanted to find uh, a location that was easy for people to find if they were coming from Edmonton or other communities around the area. Um, but I always hoped it would be in St. Albert or in the Edmonton area, yeah. Yeah. How about the, um, any thoughts about expanding the <laughs> practice? It's always been our yeah. goal to expand. I mean, we, the name Travel Health Network is our goal is to eventually have a network. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we did not anticipate, I mean, we had hoped to have had multiple locations by now, but the economy mm -hmm. um, 
has really hit uh, a really low point and that uh, really hit us hard. I think in about 2015, it was uh, a really low, uh, low time. Mm -hmm. And it's been a slow, um, uh, slow uh, increase since then. Um, but with the oil and gas, you know, not doing as well, not doing a lot of new explorations that really affects travel. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our uh, travelers are employed in the oil and gas industry and when they're not making money, they're not going to go mm -hmm. go traveling. So they're not going to seek travel services. So that, I mean, has affected a lot of travel clinics um, across the country. Um, so that's a big challenge for us. Do right you now. feel like it would uh, force you to be more creative or get out of your comfort zone in terms of uh, attracting new um, clients or patients into the clinic? Um, we, we really pushed a bit of our social media. We're hoping to actually expand on that a little bit. Um, I used to be on Twitter. I'm not so much on Twitter anymore. Uh, social media, I find, is a great way to um, invite more people to come. Everybody's on Instagram. We do Facebook as well. So we were really working on that. But what we really did is um, I worked really hard to provide the best service that I could to my clients to create a great experience for them. Because in the end, our biggest referral is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. right? We can spend thousands of dollars on ads and advertising, but if you're not providing the best service you can, people aren't going to care. You can have a beautiful ad, but if you provide bad service, yeah. they're not going to come to you. So our biggest referral base is word of mouth, and I too try very, very hard to curate a great service. Um, we try not to keep people in our clinic for more than 45 minutes to an hour. You know, they've got things to do, uh, a life to live, yeah. children to feed and to put to bed. Um, but we also want to create a happy experience. We want them to leave feeling that, you know, they were given the best care and, and you know, no matter what, they were made to feel well, mm. right, about what they were doing, so. And in this business, it's not like you need, you have to, you have to innovate, and yeah. you have to bring out all these new ideas, and you have to work towards, well, essentially you have to take a leap of faith, as you mentioned, yeah. with a lot of these parts. Were there any times where you took a chance on a decision or something, even could be throughout your entire career, where it failed, where you found yourself in a place where, not where you want to be, as far as the travel clinic goes, I would say probably not. Um, we've been pretty fortunate that most of our decisions have been successful. Um, I mean, it's still terrifying when the economy and things that are outside of your control um, influence that. Um, I don't know that I've ever considered anything that I've done a failure. I think more everything's a learning experience. That, and that's that's an excellent looking at thing too. Yeah. I think a lot of people maybe focus on the if they have had a setback somewhere, they don't they focus on that way too heavily and then they don't think about the fact that you use a learning experience. Yeah, like I mean there's been probably a million times and that's I know that's an exaggeration, yeah. but many, many times in the last few years, especially with the economy the way it is, where I've considered maybe that we shouldn't be running anymore, but then you think, well, well what can I do to make things a little bit more efficient? You know, what can I do myself to, you know, bring more people in mm -hmm. uh, without increasing you know costs to the client or to myself as a as a owner right mm -hmm. um so there's just little things that you you know every problem is a challenge and you just have to rise to it 100%. and not give up 
Giving up yeah. is, I mean, you can, everybody can give up. Mm-hmm. It's too easy. To it is. Like, yeah. It's so easy to give up. And it's really hard to push through things that are so, so challenging, like to the point where you don't sleep at night. I mean, having your own business is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Anybody who owns a business will know that. But if you give up, you'll never know if you succeeded, right? So when you mentioned that, uh, you know, like the experience that you create for your clients, that's what's really going to make that lasting impact and getting them to come back to your uh, to your clinic and uh, remember you as a pharmacist. So um, for anyone, I guess, who hasn't been to your clinic or haven't set foot into your clinic, um, could you give us a visual, I guess, depiction of what that looks like for, for someone to walk into your clinic? Well, the funniest thing is that every time somebody comes into our clinic, they think they're in the wrong place <laughs> because it doesn't look like a medical office necessarily. Um, we try to make the decor a little bit more relaxing. We've got nice pictures. We have coffee and tea for our clients. Um, it kind of looks like a spa no. when you come in. You know, like a we've got greens and grays and, mm-hmm. and you know. It might be really silly for individual that yeah. really wants to travel. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, like I said, I, it doesn't. We try not to make it look like mm-hmm. a, a medical clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, we have for our, you know, our vaccine room, we have a nice reclining chair. Um, we have a lot of fainters. So we try to make that comfortable. Comfortable. We've got like a footrest and reclining chair so they can lay down. Um, we've, you know, it's just, it's, it's friendly. Like as soon as you walk in, you see our receptionist. They're always very happy to see, see you. Um, we've got toys for kids and a spot for them to sit and play. Um, and we're pretty easygoing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the big thing. Like, we've got a lot of kids in there, and some of the parents are like, "Oh, don't touch anything," and we're like, "Yeah, it's all good." <laughs> I've had my office destroyed a million times because the kids are restless. Obviously, listening to me talk is going to be terribly boring for them, and I have no problems if they want to just, you know, do what they need to do in there and play and have fun. Because mm-hmm. in the end, you know, I'm talking to the parents. I don't want them to be worrying about their kids and mm-hmm. it's just a relaxed environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, some um, some clients who walk into a medical clinic, you know, that's a very different experience than, than walking into somewhere like uh, you mentioned, somewhere that's more relaxed and puts them more at ease. Uh, yes. As, as you would. Yeah, especially when they're expecting to get a needle and they don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's very stressful. Yeah. Well, the area of travel medicine has become a really hot topic lately. Um, there are a lot of individuals in a lot, whether it be physicians, pharmacists, nurses that are going into the field and trying to practice it. What's your advice on, on that? This on for me is kind of a hot subject just because I am very, very passionate about travel medicine. Mm-hmm. I do feel that if you're going to provide travel medicine, you should do it on a regular basis. Um, I don't think it's just something that you should be doing um, as a money grab. Um, which it is for a lot of people. Um, I know it's really big in community pharmacy now. Um, A lot of people are wanting to do it because it is a big draw and because it is a non-insured health benefit. um, There's no set fee, right? Um, Honestly, uh, the college came out with an article, I think it was a year or two ago. Um, Just because you can doesn't mean you should. um, And I fully support that. Um, I do not feel that every pharmacist, doctor, or nurse should be providing travel medicine. 
and that gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes, but I do honestly feel that. Um, travel medicine is a specialty and um, you're putting people's lives um, on the line if you're not giving them great advice. And while the certificate in travel health exam is a great way to kind of test your baseline knowledge, it is not the be all end all of providing travel medicine. It is not you write this exam and poof, you're a, you're a travel medicine specialist. Um, not everybody has to do the same type of training that I've done through the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Glasgow with the travel medicine diploma, but I feel that it's a great tool to have. It does give you a great way to provide adequate risk assessments, but another way to make sure that you are doing a great uh, service to tra travelers is to do it on a continual basis. You should be doing this every single day. You should be doing it all day, not just on your overlap shift, right? You shouldn't just be doing it once a week or every once in a while when a traveler comes in to see you. This is something that you should be doing every single day. You should also be willing, or your employer should be willing to invest in reliable resources. Um, certain resources, while they may be more cost-effective, are not regularly updated. They're not detailed as far as malaria maps go or travel advisories, um, outbreaks, that type of thing. Um, so you should be investing in great software that has that um, capability. The CDC website is not a valuable resource for up-to-date information. They are a government-run website in the United States that very rarely um, gets funding. Um, so they don't have the opportunity to update regularly. And I see a lot of travelers coming to me that have, well, my doctor looked it up on the CDC website. It's not not a great resource necessarily. Um, and being uh, willing to continuously update your, your knowledge. Every single day I'm updating my knowledge. I'm getting information from other providers through listservs and blogs, but then also through um, uh, my reading every day. There's updates to travel medicine daily. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not doing it every single day, it's like any skill. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? So yeah, I maybe might lose a lot of friends over this, but honestly, if you're not willing to do it every single day, multiple times a day, you shouldn't be doing it. So in other words, like if you don't live and breathe uh, kind of the practice that you're doing, you're, yeah. you're not an expert. You Absolutely. Know, and that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like what Dimitri touched on before as well, you know, there's a a huge surge of uh, pharmacists who, you know, when the opportunity arises, whether it's diabetes educator, you know, we're going to collect all those different certifications. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's tough, particularly when, you know, there are pharmacists who are genuinely passionate about what they do and yeah. are, you know, experts in their field. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had to face any challenging situations where a patient might have come to you where they may have not gotten the best of care when it comes down to, or advice when it comes down to, uh, travel medicine that, that really kind of grinded your gears? Oh, of course, like pretty much every day. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, and they ask me why, you know, well, my friend went to this pharmacy or they went to this clinic and they were told this, um, or they went to their doctor and they were told this, um, conflicting information. Um, generally, it's really hard because 
what's going to happen is you're always going to have um, provider bias, right? Everybody's got their own experiences with travel, um, whether they've traveled on their own or whether, um, you know, they've kind of lightly touched on information and they've kind of formed their own opinion. Um, the biggest problem that I have is that a lot of the providers that are giving the information, they just don't have the resources. They don't have the general uh, knowledge because they it's just something that they dabble in. So a lot of uh, clients that I have come in from other providers, they are now coming to see me, for example, for yellow fever because they saw you know, their doctor or another pharmacist, but they couldn't get yellow fever from them. My biggest, you know, yeah, it's the vaccine that they want, but what about the education on disease prevention, right? So a lot of times what's happening is that they're being educated on vaccines and these are the vaccines that you need. And if you don't get these vaccines, these are the diseases that you could get but how do we stop getting these vac these diseases in the first place? So, you know, just different biases, like a lot of people really focus on vaccines. A lot of people will focus on, you know, let's give you all the pills for malaria prevention. What about the education? And again, um, I think they just, because they're not always immersed in it, it's, a, it's hard for them to kind of uh, create that balanced consult, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah. So previously, uh, you also mentioned that you know you spend a fair amount of time with your clients, uh, but also balancing and ensuring that you know it's efficient and it's not uh, overwhelming to them. Because exactly um, as as we know, um, if we're using a lot of technical jargon, you know it, it can be very overwhelming and uh, might not retain much. Um, so for, from your experience in that forty five minutes, like what is uh, what are some of the things that you go over and what are uh, some of the things that you might leave out? Let's say someone who um, might not be an expert at uh, travel health, you know, what are some things that they are really missing out? Well, one thing that I do is my consult, the initial consult itself is only 20 minutes. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that in any kind of health uh, situation, after about 10 minutes, people are not retaining anything, okay? So in my consults, I prioritize um, the most important things that they're going to be most at risk of. Um, honestly, vaccines are about 10% of that, right? It's a very small part of what a travel consult's involved with, um, but I prioritize their biggest risks and I kind of compile it in about a 20 minute kind of assessment and talk with, with the client. Um, I, I do a lot of talking, but a lot of it is questions. I'm asking clients, you know, you know, past histories, vaccine histories, where they're going, what kind of activities and that type of thing. Um, but then I also provide a lot of uh, paper information for them. Um, all of the things that I really want them to know, I'll send them home with that information because they're not going to retain anything after a few minutes, right? I could talk for hours about all of the things that they could possibly come across and they're not going to remember any of it. So very quick, short, um, to the point information is important to give to, to our travelers. Um, you can talk for two hours. It's not going to help them any more than a, a 20 minute talk, right? Um, and and uh, send them home with a lot of information and make sure that you're available if they have questions afterwards. Because a lot of times what happens is that they are so incredibly overwhelmed with what's, you know, they come in thinking, well, I'm just going to Mexico, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and then they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, so they are overwhelmed and, and um, well, sometimes scared, depending on what they're doing. Um, so being available for them for other questions is important as well. And giving them the opportunity to ask the questions that are really important for them. 
for me, as far as a consultant, as a consultant goes, I don't allow them to ask questions at the beginning because usually what I go through will answer their questions by the time I'm done. But there's always questions at the end um, if they have any concerns. And sometimes they don't think about them during the consult time. So, you know, I give my email, I give my cell number um, and they contact me afterwards. And I think that's important too, to remember that the consult doesn't always end after that 20 minutes. Um, it, just be available for your clients as well. So it sounds like you know providing them a lot of different choices, whether it's you know paper information or you know things that you discuss with them. So just giving all those options help them like build a more holistic care. Yeah. Right? Uh, compared to maybe um, a less um, holistic care that just uh, hands you kind of the information and they forget about it or yeah. you know maybe expose the risks that they don't know about. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, those are really excellent um, advice, I think, uh, for, you know, young aspiring <laughs> pharmacists who, who may one day be passionate about yeah. uh, this area. So switching gears a little bit, uh, you did mention that you um, kind of uh, marketed your, you know, your cl uh, clinical services to um, your clients through kind of word of mouth and just building up that reputation of, of uh, honest and very genuinely good care. Um, you know, how do you, um, how, how do you reach out to, to your clients and how do you um, kind of keep them engaged over time? Well, we do have a Facebook page. Um, so we don't use our Facebook page to kind of uh, market our hours or anything like that. We try and, you know, any alerts or education points that we want to send out to our clients. Um, we keep in touch through emails uh, as well. Like we send out emails to uh, our clients for reminders uh, for vaccination reminders and that type of thing. Um, but I also make myself available, right? Um, a lot of our, our clients will call us just for general questions. Like they've come to see us before. They'll, they'll say, well, I'm going on another trip. What should I do? Some of those questions are very easily answered over the phone sometimes, but they need to come back and see me, right? So a lot of repeat clients. And those are not the people that you're ever going to make money off of, right? Because They've got the information. They're armed with that that information, and and so you just want to make sure that they're getting the additional things that they need for different travel mm -hmm. travel trips. And um, I think it's important too to kind of give that reward for their loyalty as well. You know, I'm not going to charge you a full consult fee if you've already come to see me. You've heard me talk before, um, but kind of touch on the things that are going to be different for this new adventure that they're on. Um, our biggest thing is the referrals. Like if you do something good for a person, they're going to tell other people, right? Um, maybe only a few people, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you do something really bad, they're going to tell everybody, right? Tons and tons of people. Um, and we do have reviews. So we allow our, like we send, um, prompts for reviews for our clients as well. They can review us on Google, good or bad, right? We need the feedback because we can't grow unless we know what we're doing wrong, right? Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't think I answered the question. But <laughs> no, no, that's, that's excellent. <laughs> but yeah, just so different things like that. With all this kind of knowledge, you know, that you have built up over the years um, through your education at, in the UK and your uh, diploma or your certificate that you received in Houston, um, was it scary, you know, kind of teaching that to someone else or entrusting that, uh, those skill sets and knowledge um, to, you know, the staff at the clinic? Um, you know, how, how did you, um, were able, how, how did you 
train your staff to kind of think in the, the same way that you do? So how I train my staff, especially my nurses um, when they're new to me, because I have, so we're kind of a multidisciplinary practice. So I do the consults and I just touched my mic, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do the consults and then um, my nurses do the vaccine education for anything that I recommended and they administer the vaccines. So it makes it a little bit more efficient um, for a full, full travel clinic. Uh, when I hire my nurses, what I get them to do is they come and hang out with me in a consult. Mm -hmm. They get to see what I talk to my patients about. And a lot of my nurses travel and they've actually come to see me. Um, my nurses that I have right now actually um, came to see me for consults before they ever came to work for me, um, who are also passionate about travel and, and want to learn more about um, you know travel medicine. Um, so how I train them is I get them to come and sit with me and they shadow me and they watch me administer the vaccines and then I make them give me a vaccine too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I wanna... it's designed a really well-oiled machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I want to make sure that my nurses are comfortable and competent as well. Um, but I also want to make sure that they're meeting the standards that I've set for our clinic. So, um, and I'm also very encouraging with them as far as mistakes. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. I never want anybody to be afraid to make a mistake because they happen. Mm -hmm. And it's usually not the individual, it's the environment. Like how can we fix the environment to make this easier? So um, communication and I want them to be able to talk to me all the time about what they can do and how I can help make things better for them and more efficient for them. You've developed, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> you've developed these systems in place. You've developed your business well, um, and then you mentioned that throughout this entire process, you felt yourself unsure about some decisions. Sometimes you mm -hmm. have to take chances. How did you overcome your own? Because a lot of people, I think, face that, and they lack clarity. They don't know whether or not they should do this. How did you ever overcome that yourself? Well, I have crippling anxiety about a lot of things. Um, I lay awake at night, um, especially in the beginning, I lost a lot of sleep. Like, what, a, what should I do to you know, make this better? Um, I feel in some situations that I probably could have completely just called it quits. Mm -hmm. The most important thing I find is if you have a problem, find a plan. Mm -hmm. Like, find a plan and don't feel that you have to fix it in one big step, right? There's always baby steps that can lead up to how you can resolve an issue, whether it's a financial issue as an owner, like there's always gonna be those issues that are very overwhelming. Like what kind of sacrifices that can you make yeah. in your personal life to balance out that financial issue at work? Mm -hmm. um, or how much harder can you work on your own to make um, uh, the financial issue better kind of thing? Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing is to break it down in tiny steps because once you start it gets really overwhelming when you look at a problem and it is huge mm -hmm. and you're like i'm never going to overcome overcome this right how am i going to do this um, and ask for help mm -hmm. we're so as humans we just we're so driven to succeed and we're so worried about what other people are thinking about that we forget that if we ask for help it eases the burden so, you know, ask help for your, with your spouse or your business partner. Um, but if you shut down and just kind of take everything on to yourself um, with whatever business problem that you're having, it's never going to work out. Yes. And it's just going to eat at you. So and how do you know when you're on the right track? That's a hard question, but. That is a hard question. Especially for an individual that's starting up and they're 
thinking this is what I want to do, that's what I'm passionate about. But how do you know if you got the right idea? How do you know if you're on the right track? How did you know, for example? Um, when you know that you're on the right track, your customers are happy, mm -hmm. your clients are happy, um, and you feel more confident and happy about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's a, it is a really hard question because, I mean, you could be on the right track and still not be like overly successful on paper, right? And I just think that's a question that a lot of people ask themselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual business either. I think in a lot of our careers, I might ask myself, am I on the right track? Yeah. And it's a question that I think a lot of us ask. So that's why I'm curious to hear what you think. I think, you know. and it, this might be a little bit cliche, but if you're working really hard, but you're happy doing it, mm -hmm. even though you're stressed out, if it still brings you joy, yeah. then I think you're on the right track, right? If you are very stressed out and like you're just dreading going into your business, mm -hmm. maybe you need to change things, yeah. right? Like, it just depends on how much dread. I love going to my, like, nobody likes going to work. Yeah. But when I'm at work, I'm happy. Like, yeah. it's exciting. I love my people. Um, when I'm in it, it's great. And, and I mean, we all have off days. Right. But if you're loving what you do and you're working hard mm -hmm. at it, then I think you're doing okay, right? And a lot of people really focus on like their success on how much money they make. Like mm -hmm. they want to be millionaires and stuff. I don't think travel medicine's ever going to be a way to make millions. Okay, um, but I'm so passionate about. It. I love being able to help people and and um, to provide them with the best care that I can. Mm -hmm. And that's a reward for me. And that to me is success, mm -hmm. right? So knowing what you kind of know now, you know, with uh, your experience and uh, also, you know, being a leader in, in you know, really changing the sphere of, uh, of travel medicine, um, how much do you attribute your success today to luck and how much do you attribute it to your personal uh, work ethic, you know, whether it's um, staying up for those late hours? I don't think anything of, I don't think any of it is luck, honestly. <laughs> um, there is no luck. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, a lot of hard work yeah. and learning from my own mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like when I first started out, I was terrified. Um, we had this idea that we could do this 20 minute consult and I was like, how am I going to do 20 minutes? You know, but it's trial and error. You find out what works and you work really hard at it mm -hmm. and you make mistakes, mm -hmm. whether it's mistakes with clients or mistakes in business, you make those mistakes and you learn from them. Mm -hmm and you own them. Like if you make a mistake with a client, you call them up and say, hey, you know, this might have been wrong. This is how I'm going to fix it, yeah. right? And also accept that you made that mistake with that person and, and learning from it. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, owning up to it. I think a lot of us are terrified of making mistakes so we don't take chances. Yes. Um, so I think that's important to kind of acknowledge as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so for younger pharmacists or for you know younger professionals who are just entering um, you know pharmacy uh, or the healthcare scene, you know what are some of uh, advice or, or I guess life wisdom that you would uh, give to you know your younger peers um, and and why? Um, I think I've kind of said this a lot: is don't be afraid to make mistakes. And I've actually this has kind of been my thing ever since I graduated. Because once, as soon as you're afraid to make mistakes, you're afraid to take chances, and you're never going to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I also think it's important to, to take risks. Sometimes you have to think outside the box. Um, it's all well and good to only focus on what's in front of you, what's written out um, in a good plan for you. But um, when you're doing evidence-based medicine, a lot of things aren't fully regulated. You have to kind of think outside the box and think, well, what's the best scenario for my client and for my patient? Um, and, and do that because if thinking inside the box is all that you're willing to do, but it's not going to help the patient at all, then I think you're kind of, you're not going to do well for yourself or for the people that you're helping. So I, I love that actually one sentence that you said there, where if you're afraid to make mistakes, you'll be afraid to take chances. I feel like that actually really resonates with me. I think that that is something that a lot of, not even just health professionals, anybody really is faces day-to-day mm -hmm. -day lives if they're just afraid to make that mistake they will never try it yeah exactly so uh, i have a more fun uh, question okay. for you uh, so uh you know you've uh, seen a lot of clients who have traveled all over the world and you yourself are an avid you know um, traveler and you love um, hiking and being in nature uh what if you could suggest one travel destination just one uh where would it be and why um Hmm. There's so many. I, I love Bali. <laughs> like that is my favorite place. Um, and what I would do is go off the beaten path, stay in a little village, stay in a homestay. Don't do the tourist itinerary, go to a really remote area, live and be friends with the people that live in the area. Um, because you will have a completely different experience than someone who stays in the nice hotels on the nice beaches. And another thing too when you're traveling is don't judge. They live in a different culture than you. Um, I mean obviously things that we'd find disconcerting or offensive is part of their culture and embrace that. Just go and experience it and open your mind because it's amazing. You'll have a completely different experience. I definitely going to check out Bali. I've heard lots of things, but something I I feel like I want to travel more, just haven't had the opportunity to. Yeah. But I think with that being said on that point, um, thank you very much for joining us today and thank you for all your wisdom and knowledge and telling us about your story and opening up about things that you've done great and things that may have been more difficult in life too. We really appreciate that. And just to finish things off, Christina, for, for our listeners that may be interested in finding out more about your clinic or learning about where you are or using up your services, could you tell us a bit more about where you are? And uh, well, our clinic is physically located in St. Albert. Uh, so we're at number 30, um, 200 St. Albert Trail. So we're right on the trail by the Boston Pizza. So we're really easy, kind of on the south end of St. Albert, very easily accessed off the Henday. Um, you can also visit our website at www.travelhealthnetwork.com and we do have Twitter um, at TravHealthNet and then also a Facebook page um, which you can, I think it's Travel Health Net Network as well. So Excellent, so check those out if you're interested at all in the Travel Health Network. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Hey guys, hope you really enjoyed this interview. Today, Christina talked about some really powerful insights that she's been able to acquire through building up her business at the Travel Health Network. 
you know, one of the biggest takeaway messages that I was able to get from this was, you know, how to tackle problems. And Christina breaks down into two different strategies. Number one is breaking down problems into smaller ones so that they don't feel so overwhelming. And the second one is asking for help and support from your family, your friends, and your colleagues. And I think this, these two strategies are things that we can apply in our day-to-day -day lives no matter what we're doing. Hope you really enjoyed it. Um, I know we did for sure. If you did, like, comment, subscribe below. And that's it. Until next time.